0: Moncrief on News Talk.
1: Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. When you first got your
0: diagnosis, Julia, did you suspect what it might be?
1: You know what? I discovered a lump more than two years ago, and uh, it was on one of my self-examinations that I discovered a lump. And I I didn't immediately jump to the cancer thought in my mind. And I did have it. I did have it uh, checked. I had a mammogram and it came out clear. So to be honest, I wasn't unduly worried for that for the next year, because women do get lumps and bumps. We all get lumps and bumps sometimes. Um, And it wasn't until... I started to feel pain in my lump, and then I'd had another mammogram at this that by this time, which had also come up clear. But because I was talking about the pain, that led to um, my doctor giving me an ultrasound, and it was the ultrasound that discovered something untoward. And very quickly after that, I had a biopsy. And it was when I was having my biopsy, that was the moment that I thought, this could be serious. And actually, I shed my first set of tears during that biopsy, because the thing that came into my mind was, am I going to see my children grow up? I have young yeah. children. I have seven-year-old twins. I have a 10 year old boy and it wasn't fear at that stage of me dying. It genuinely was the fear of not seeing my kids grow grow up. So
0: when they told you it was cancer, what's kind of like if once you're absorbing that news, what's if you like your timetable of things to do? Do you give yourself a bit of time to absorb that before you tell anyone? And I suppose most importantly, how
1: do you go home and tell your family? How do you tell your kids this? everybody i think who is on the receiving end of a cancer diagnosis even if you're suspicious of uh, something untoward it's an absolute shock it really does knock the stuffing out of you and there is a, a level of disbelief certainly for me You know, pinching yourself. Is this me? Am am I the one who's got cancer here? Uh, And after computing that, telling the children was a very different uh, sort of thought process to telling my immediate uh, family, friends, my partner. And my partner knew straight away, my good friends knew straight away because they were aware that i was going through i'd had a mammogram and i'd had a lump and all of that so they knew i didn't tell my mum because she's greek and she worries and she takes the weight Mm -hmm. of the world in her heart and on her shoulders so i wanted to be sure that when i told her i would be telling her what the treatment was going to be and how we were moving forward and with the children obviously it was a very carefully thought through process very well choreographed so that they were told in a setting that they were they were comfortable in, and that we were prepared and ready to answer any questions for them. But nobody tells you what to do. I mean, I, I through the, the course of making my documentary, Breast Cancer from Me, I came across a fantastic charity called Fruitfly, Fly, who do indeed teach you the, how to talk to your family about cancer, and particularly how to talk to your children about cancer. I didn't expect these two questions from um, from my one from one of my daughters and one from my son. Immediately, one of my daughters said to me can I still hug you which just broke my heart and and I was like yes of course you can and we'll hug more than ever and my little boy a couple of weeks later we were in bed and I was reading a book to him and he said mummy is it contagious and of course Children have been, my children, all, you know, children, children all across the UK and Ireland. We've been, we've been dealing with COVID and we talk Mm. about contagious diseases and coughing and wash your hands. And so, of course, it would make sense that he would ask that question. Um, And then you just start the process. And can you prepare them? uh, It's to hark on your children, but uh, can
0: you prepare them for the, for, you know, I might get a bit better before I get worse. I am going to have surgery. I might seem a bit poorly on some days.
1: You can't really because the truth is that you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. You don't know how you're going to react. And um, when I was told very early on that I'd need to have a mastectomy, uh, I was told fairly early on that it would be what's known as a nipple-saving and skin-saving mastectomy. I had no idea what that meant at that time because all of this is new language to everybody. When you when you first get diagnosed, all I remember is I'm going to lose my left breast, and of course you think it's going to save my life. So it's there's there's, there's nothing more important. Um, but that's a very very big thing, and it's a big emotional hurdle for for women. Uh, And then we have to deal with whether there's radiation or chemotherapy or being flat chested or losing nipples or not having reconstruction. All of these things are very, very individual. It depends on the type of cancer you have. It depends on the location of your cancer. It depends on whether or not the cancer has spread. So you really are in the dark. And I I, I didn't talk about death with my children. I talked about treatment and I talked about the experience of how we'll all be there together to go through this. And what was the timescale between your initial
0: uh, diagnosis and then the mastectomy?
1: It was, I think about three months. It was two or three months. I had a, a, a slow growing cancer. So I had a little bit of time to prepare myself. And I remember I changed the date once. It wasn't, we need to get you in tomorrow. Uh, but it certainly, you don't want to hang around, but it was, it, uh, the, my tumour was large, so obviously it had been there for some time. So it was it was uh, several months, a couple, of two or three months before I actually underwent the mastectomy. After the initial shock, do you kind of get used to it? Is there a normalising process? No, you don't get used to it. There isn't anything normal about a cancer diagnosis, and even after my mastectomy, after the operation. I didn't have to have chemotherapy and I didn't have to have radiation, again, because of the type of cancer I had and the success of the operation. The tumour was removed in one. Um, And then you live with it. You have to psychologically process what this what this all means i've subsequently done something called a snips test which professor gareth evans at manchester university has been pioneering and snips are uh, it's short for single nucleotide polymorphisms and they're basically fragments of dna passed down by both of our parents and a snips test can give you answers to lots of your personal um, medical proclivities if you like so this particular test I did it to work out my risk of reoccurrence of breast cancer and I came out with a a high risk. And had I had that test, the SNPs test done, when I was younger, I would not have probably had a mastectomy. I could have saved my left left breast. How do they carry out a SNPs test? It's a saliva. It's a simple saliva test. Ah. So you uh, you and saliva tests are taken by you either you either sort of spit lots of saliva into a test tube or you chew on something and and they use the saliva from that that uh, blob of material. Right. Okay. Uh, and after the uh, after then the mastectomy,
0: the sorry to crowbar an Irish angle into this, but but uh, obviously a bra is a, a, a very important at that point, and and it was an Irish one you went with.
1: Yeah, I was so so lucky after my. Um I was given, I was sent a heart shaped cushion that you can put underneath your armpit because after you've had a mastectomy, you're very sore and you can't move. My sister was blow drying my hair for me for weeks and weeks afterwards because you can't lift your hands. Another friend of mine sent me a front uh, zipping um, hoodie because you need to put front, Front, softening, front fastening clothes on because again you can't lift your hands the bras that I wore were from the Irish yes, from, from um, an Irish company and they're super soft bamboo and again front fastening, um, drain dollies that carry your the drain that you have when you leave hospital because you have to go home with it and that's what is taking the blood out of your wound all of these things are really really important for your recovery and I felt so fortunate that everybody was very kind and sent me these things and if you go on my website juliabradbury.com there's a, a chapter called the road to recovery and everything is listed have you had reconstruction i have had a reconstruction again i was i was fortunate that i could have immediate reconstruction um, so i have a, a new silicon implant a new uh, we, we it's our our new boob in the family we like to call <laughs> it which i've been very welcoming to um and if your cancer is in a certain place, the way they have to cut into you means that you're, you haven't got enough skin to have reconstruction because there's no stretch in it. So you have to have your, your skin stretched before you can accommodate an implant. Um, sometimes they will um, tattoo a nipple on or you lose your nipples. It's a very complicated disease and there's so much that goes alongside it. And I don't think the psychological impact of of breast cancer is necessarily always recognized. I mean, somebody came up to me, I was at an event at the weekend and there was one lady who was, she came up to me and she was crying and she said, a friend of my husband just came up to me and said, oh, don't worry, love, he'll he'll still have sex with you. In a very, not a caring, not an emotionally sensitive way at all. And people say to you, oh, the treatment's so much better these days, isn't it? Yes, I mean, the treatment is, and we are surviving longer. But my treatment, and, and you could arguably say that mine is some of the, 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 the better treatment because of the type of cancer and because I've been able to have reconstruction, I lost a breast. I've had a major operation. Um, I've put my family through all of this, and now I have this risk of reoccurrence hanging over me. Yeah. Um, it's a deeply psychologically scarring disease. Yeah. And do you, do you, do you recognise any signs of, of that psychological scarring in yourself? Well, I'm, a, I'm like to think I'm a positive person, and as I said, making the documentary helped me. All of these things I find very positive, um, and they make they they make. I can't say it's worthwhile because that's wrong, but it there is there is a psychologically positive impact that goes alongside being able to help other people. Um, I'm also very interested in the, the 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 risk reduction element of breast cancer. What can we all do? Half of us in our lifetimes are going to be diagnosed with a breast cancer diagnosis the statistics are horrifying and there are elements of bad luck there are elements of genealogy and epidemiology and there are elements of there are lifestyle factors for example my oncologist said to me if I have one unit of alcohol a day I increase my risk of reoccurrence by five or six percent if I have four units of alcohol a day I increase my risk of reoccurrence by 28 percent now, that doesn't mean if you drink, you're definitely going to get cancer. But these are the known factors that influence uh, the, the possibility of getting cancer. And alcohol, unfortunately, damages our DNA re- reparation system. Our bodies are amazing. And alcohol is something that that doesn't help us rebuild ourselves. And that is not to say... I'm blaming people and this is a blame game. Oh, you didn't behave correctly and that's why you got cancer. I didn't know that being tall is a risk factor. I didn't know that when you start your period is a risk factor. I didn't know that having children late in life is a risk factor for breast cancer. So once you know these things, you can, some of them, when it comes to things like alcohol and food, you can can adjust your life accordingly. If you don't know, then you can't be blamed. Yeah, being tall is a risk factor. For a woman, there was a very, I haven't got the stat in front of me, but if you're a six foot woman, we're moving into double figures. The risk uh, uh, risk factor for breast cancer. It's it's amazing yeah. actually uh, the impact that that has. And obviously, there's nothing you can do about that. No. But if you did know, if you are a tall lady, I'm five foot nine. I'm I'm quite tall. That's a risk factor. Um, if I had known all of these things, again, the SNPs test, the the having children late, uh, the height. If I'd have known all of these things when I was younger, and alcohol, I think I would have um, changed my lifestyle.
0: Yeah. Julia, thank you so much for uh, uh, taking the time to talk to us today. Julia Bradbury, thank you very much.
1: Just one thing I do want to mention because we yeah. haven't got to it and it's a it's a fantastic um, facility in Ireland which has been supported by Breast Cancer Ireland is the Beaumont Hospital. This is a state of the art hospital that you have there which had consistent fundraising support. Um, your Great Pink Run has helped to finance the Beaumont Hospital. Um, it is going to be uh, handling personalised medicine, pers- a personalized approach to breast cancer um, and looking at the uh, the psychological impact as well i just think it's very important to mention that because it's such an incredible facility
0: okay well thanks for doing so julia thanks a
1: million thank you Moncrief brought to you by avant money think you're getting the best value from your bank think again weekdays
0: at 2 p.m on news talk